What's up, Blueprint? How you guys doing? Good, good. I love, love. Thank you for leading us in worship. I love the, the time where we can come and just declare God's worth. Declare God's worth. Um, welcome. My name is Dahadi Lewis. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited about what we are get to do today. We get a chance, another opportunity to open up God's word. If you are here with us for the first time, We've been in the middle of a series called Make Room, Make Room, and we're talking about the blessings of biblical hospitality, the blessings of biblical hospitality. And every week we started off, basically we're making room at the tables. You know, we are meeting around the tables to connect, to make room for one another so that we can all come become come before the throne of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, this week, we're about to go into Christmas week. All right. How many of you guys are still have to go Christmas shopping? How, anybody? How many of you guys haven't even started Christmas shopping yet? Right. All right. So we got a few honest folks in here, you know. And so um, one of the things that we're going to, you know, what I thought we would talk about today around the tables and we're going to do speed round because I would like, hopefully, my goal is to have questions on the front end and the back end of um, today's sermon. So I want to do this kind of quickly today. Um, as we get a chance to interact with those around us. And I want to ask three questions, right, when it comes to this Christmas season, three questions around the Christmas season. The first question is, what is a Christmas season known for, right? Just If you just think about the Christmas season, what is Christmas season known for? I want you to use um, a couple of words, no more than three words to describe what Christmas season is known for. This is going to be like speed dating, all right? So we're going to go really quick, all right? So take some time to discuss that right now. Ready? Go. We're going to give you a minute, so just... All right. I want you to keep that energy. Keep that energy. Stay at your table. Stay. Keep talking. The next question I want you to ask one another are, is, what, what is your favorite Christmas song, movie, or thing to do in this season? Right? So what is your favorite Christmas song, movie, or thing to do in this season? All right. Go. All right. All right. Last question, last question. As a child, as a child, what was the most memorable, or it doesn't even have, don't even have to be most, what is a memorable gift you've ever received in Christmas and why? What is a memorable gift that you received in Christmas and why? Like as a child, I, I decided to do as a child because I don't want you to feel the pressure of like, oh, what you got me, honey, yesterday, last week, right? So as a child, the most memorable gift. All right, go. All right. Well, that's good. That's good. Well, let, we're going to look into God's word, but I really want to kind of start off this to kick that off as an icebreaker. Part of it is because like this next Monday, we're going to give and exchange gifts, right? And the ultimately giving and exchanging gifts is the fact, is, is, is a reminder that the ultimate gift that was given to us was in Christ Jesus, and so that, we, that these gifts are reminders, subtle reminders that we are to be ultimately pointed to him. That this season and what this gift, the gift of this season, which was the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Matthew. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. Um, you know, in Matthew 25, what we're going to be doing today is that we're going to basically be asking the question. It's, it's, it's going to be a very practical message a very practical message. We're going to look at 10 ways, 10 ways for us to make room for the, for the stranger. The reason why this is important, 
the reason why this is important, I want you to kind of think about today is like the sermons that we've been giving over the last seven, six or seven weeks, right? That is this, like imagine that's the body of the text. And then today is really about the application. And I'm just going to try to get very, very practical today of just like, here are some ways that we can practice hospitality to um, the stranger. And so we're going to be all over the text um, today. Basically, we're, we're going to look here and then we're going to give and break it down into three areas. And in each one, I'm going to give you 10 principles and they're going to be rapid fire. 10 principles. There's going to be um, a principle. Then I'm going to give you some a why statement, a prudence, and then some practice. We talk about preference, but we're going to talk about practice, uh, a practice that we can do um, fairly easily to begin to make this idea of the biblical blessing of hospitality, give you some handlebars to actually doing some things that you can implement fairly easily, right? And so I want to start off with Matthew chapter 25, 35, I'm sorry, 31 through 46. And I'm going to read this, and it's not going to be, I'm going to come back to this text briefly, but really I was the overall um theme that I want us to kind of see here, then we're going to jump around for different scriptures of other texts. And um, Matthew chapter 25 is what they call the Olivet Discourse. And this is basically a sermon that the Lord gave to his disciples while he was on Mount Olive, on Mount Olive. And so in verse 31, it says this, when the Son of Man comes of his, um, in his glory, all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nation will be gathered before him and he will separate them, or, separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Verse 35, four, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did you see, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger? And when did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes or and clothe you? When did we, when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, truly, I tell you, whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will also say to those who on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. Um, sick and in prison and you didn't take care of me. Then they will, an they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did, not, whatever you did not do for the one of these least of these you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous 
into eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this time. Thank you for your grace. Open up your word that we may see. Give us some principles and practices to live by. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. And so what we see is that if you were to go back in chapter 24 or um, chapter 20, yeah, 24 and 25, basically you start seeing some of these verses about the Son of Man. And you talk about what they call the Olivet Discourse. And in the Olivet Discourse, basically it talks about what Jesus was doing. And then what we see is that in these last um, chapter, basically, Jesus gives us, at the end of 24, going into chapter 25, he gives us four parables, four parables that help us to realize about kind of, kind of what are some of the things that the Lord is going to be looking for in, during the time of judgment. Now, let me just say very clearly that this is a, basically an end times. This is talking about judgment. This is talking about what we, what, how what the Lord's looking for. And so you'll see things like how um, the parable of the ten virgins and, you know, talking about waiting patiently, being ready for the king to come back. Or you see this parable here talking about how we are to show hospitality, how we are to take in or welcome one another. We also see other passages about stewardship and, you know, and how we are to steward our time, our talent, and our treasures for God's glory. And so basically in the Mount of Olives or the Olivet Discourse, basically what Jesus is doing is like, listen, I'm going Going away, and when I come back, there's going to be some things that I look for, right, for those that are in the body of Christ. But also, I want you to understand that these are not prerequisites to salvation, right? These are not prerequisites to salvation. Salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's simply a transferring our trust. But basically, he still recognizes that. But on that day, he's going to be looking for some things and taking inventory of our lives, as a response for the gospel. The gospel is very clear. It's for by grace that we are saved, that it's a gift of God, not of ourselves, so that no man could boast. It's God's gift. But in the same tone, in the same breath, it says, but we were created for his workmanship, right? And so part of what we do, the reason why we don't get raptured up into the heavens as soon as we get saved is because we are a part of the family. He engrafted us into the family, and our role here on earth is to finish the family business, continue the family business. And one of those things is showing us hospitality. In this verse, basically, it says that in that day, one of the, one of the things that he's looking for is um, this idea, how do we welcome the stranger? How do we welcome um, those strangers? In this fourth parable, he talks about basically final judgment and final separation as it relates to this, this idea. Um, of judgment. And so what I, again, what I want to do is I want to quickly go through, and I'm going to do them pretty quickly, 10 ways to make room for the stranger. Um, before I do, I want to remember our definition when we talk about hospitality is the welcoming of strangers or the love of strangers, All right? Henry Nowen um, basically talks about this idea of being a stranger. He says that hospitality is the creation of space, free space, the creation of space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy, right? It's the creation of space where a stranger can be a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but it's to create space or to make room where change can take place. Right? And so we just understand that what we're talking about here is that creating a platform, creating room, making room, making space um, for um, change so that change can take place. All right? So in order to do that, principle number one, principle number one, all right, is this. 
right? We have to make room through invitation, make room for invitation. Remember, we started off this as with Romans 5, 7. It says, welcome one another just as Christ welcomed you. Here's the statement that I want you guys to understand when it talks about making room for invitation. Invite people into relationship and not time and space. Invite people into relationship and not time and space. What I'm, what I'm saying ultimately is, is that oftentimes when people talk, when you talk to people, that you often say, hey, come, or you, let's just say you invite people to church or you invite people to Bible study. And then you say, hey, well, when do you guys connect? When do you guys meet? And you say, well, come on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. But here's the thing. If they work at Wednesdays at 7, what did you just tell them? That they can't be a part of this. And so when we say invite people into relationship, not time and space, stop inviting people to simply events and Bible studies and things. Invite them into your life, right? Hey, we're like, when you ask me, it's like, hey, I would love to meet your family. It was just like, well, my family's always meeting. If you said, well, when do they meet? I wouldn't say, well, we meet at Sundays at X, X hour. We would say, we always meet, right? And I was just like, but instead I would say, but hey, I would love to connect with you. And then at that time, we connect at certain you know, whenever your availability and my availability. So one of the things that we can do to become more hospitable is to invite people into relationship, not time and space. Number two is I want you to make room for, to be more present. Make room for, be, to be more present. And this is just comes, you know, we see in the scripture when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, is in the very core of the great commission. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and lo, I'll be with you always. That word go basically means, it's the concept of being sent. It's like having gone, having been following Jesus, right? The idea is how do we become more present in our everyday? Some of us, you guys remember the, the, the old TV show Click? Y'all remember it was a Adam Sandler show, the movie, the movie Click. The movie click, and then he has the remote control, and the whole time he's just like he's just like fast forwarding through his life, and then he gets to the end of his life. It's like, man, I missed everything. Like some of us, that's that's how we go through life. Like we go through like with as robots, and we kind of got our our things that we're doing, just accomplish our tasks for the day, and we miss all types of opportunities to take up space in our own story, right? And so when we talk about is learn how to be present. Jesus assumed that like when we talk about being hospitable, it's not creating new things. He says, listen, having gone, as you go, make room, be present, fill up space into your everyday life. So ultimately, there's a couple of things that you can do in here. Well, the practice is, is simply two. One, think intersection, not addition. Think intersection, not addition. So don't think about like, hey, if I got to be hospitable, I have to go start and do a whole bunch of things. Start taking the, the things that you do right now and says, how can I invite other people into that space, right? How can I think intersection and not addition? The other thing that you need to think about when it comes to practice is thinking like, um, attempt to shrink your world. Attempt to shrink your world. Basically, think about like, where are those areas that overlap? Who are the people that overlap on a consistent basis um, in your neighborhood, in your job? Like think more consistently around. Our mission statement here is that we simply say we wanna unleash healthy people. Healthy people to do ministry where? Where life exists, where you live, where you work, where you worship already. Where are those places that you interact? And then when you think about those places that you interact, then simply just say, hey, what does it look like for, again, for people to in, 
to invite people into those spaces, to be intentional about inviting people into those spaces, right? The next one is make room for kononia. And I use the word kononia on purpose because if I say make room for fellowship, you would probably misinterpret what I'm saying. But kononia is is the Greek word for fellowship, right? But fellowship is not just about having more potlucks, right? It's not just about cooking. It's not just about thing. Fellowship is about, it's, it's the Greek word common union. It's about partnership, right? And this concept of partnership um, is about joining for- forces or partnering together um, for the purpose of the gospel, partnering together. I love the verse Matt, in 1 John 1, 3 through 4. It says, and this is the, uh, John, the apostle, speaking. He says, what we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so in there, what I want you not to miss is that in verses 3 and 4 is the first person plural. Right? He says, what we have seen and what we have heard, we now proclaim to you. That we recognize that Christianity is not meant to be a solo sport. Right? And so when we're thinking about hospitality, partner with other people to be inhospitable. Partner with others. Don't just all try to take it on by yourself. What, is, what would it look like for you to think about the we greater than the me? Right? What does it look like for us to do that? Right? And so you in there, it says, what we have seen, what we have heard, what we now declare to you that you may have fellowship. That word fellowship, again, means partnership, and partnership means common union. It's sort of like we can have fellowship around Coca-Cola, right? And you know, like if Coca-Cola was, if we had fellowship around Coca-Cola, basically what we are saying is is that we are in partnership together for Coca-Cola. So when we got together, you know, we will be talking about probably what? Coca-Cola, right? Some of our fellowship, like, we got to invite Jesus back into our fellowship, right? Because, like, even as Christians, it's kind of like we, we've kind of got into this thing, like, we don't got to be all super spiritual. We don't have to, and like, and now it's just like Jesus barges in to, like, times where Christians are getting together. This was like, hey, you guys remember, I'm the reason why we're gathering together. And so what would it look like to intentionally partner together for the purpose of growing in the gospel and advancing the gospel. Like we're intentional about our partnership or our common union for it. And so in there, you see that first person plural. It says, we, us, right? What we have seen, what we have heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us. Why? Because our fellowship is with the Father. And so in there, there's no individual first person singular, me, I. It's all plural, we, us, our. Right? So when we're inviting people, invite people into fellowship, remember, remember, a lot of times in Christian, um, in the Christian world, people are first converted to the Christian community before they're converted to the Christian God. They see our community, they see our love for one another, and it was just like, I have never seen this before. And then they, then, but they see our good deeds and then glorify God who's in heaven. They say, where is this unconditional love? We have to remember that when we're inviting people into these spaces, people are not impressed with the fact that you say, hey, you know, um, you know I, got, I got a car to the glory of God, to the house, you know, like they're not impressed with that because it's just like, yeah, I got a car too, but I went to my job and I worked and got my car, 
What people are missing is an agape love, where they can get, where they can be loved unconditionally. They can overcome the brokenness. What they want is fellowship. People are not concerned as much about all the trinkets and toys and all the things that we have. The world will know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. People want to belong. People want to matter. And that's what the church, that's what the fellowship that we come together to create a place that belongs and matter. And so that's why he says what we have seen, what we have heard referring to Jesus around the life and story of Jesus, we now proclaim to you the message so that you might have communion or fellowship with us because our fellowship is with the Father. So remember, how do we, in, how do, we do that? So we have to make room, right? The community, people want to be impressed by that. Uh, you know, married, my wife and I were married um, 22 years and we have six children in our, with our six children. Amen, amen. Yes, you need. To, we don't have. We don't need babysitting now, but we used to. Um, but with our six children, basically, it was eight of us. And if you've ever anybody from a large family in here, all right. So we have a couple of people from a large family. But in this large family, every time I go, we talk about the Lewis eight, and everywhere we would go, they would always ask two questions when they would see our kids. The first question is, are they all yours? That's always the first question when you have a lot of kids. Are they all yours? And then the second question is, they actually love one another. How, how did you get them to love one another? Right? And that's ultimately what the Christian community is supposed to be. Is that when people peer in, there was this like, man, all of you guys of different cultures, different backgrounds, the multi-ethnic church, and that even some people will vote for Democrats and Republican, people who are not supposed to get along together, but they peer and they see, it's like, oh my goodness, they like there's a lot of you, and you like it looks like you guys look like genuinely like one another. There's something different about this. Right? And that's that's what God is saying: is that the world will know you're my disciples because of your love for him. And so we recognize it's like how we're inviting people to do that. And so a practical thing is just simply, instead of you trying to be the only believer going in the midst of all non-believers, why don't you kind of reverse the script? What would it look like if you were to pick a couple of roommates and you were to say, hey, why don't we partner up and get a house together, right? And instead of me going and living with a bunch of non-believers so I can be a witness, why don't we get a couple of like two or three of us together and why don't we invite one non-believer into our house? And so they can just see how we love one another and we're not genuinely concerned for one another, right? There was actually, this actually happened in our church before it happened and that person eventually came to know the Lord. Let them see your good deeds, but glorify God who's in heaven, right? And you see, and this is what we're saying is that what, what would it look like for us to partner, to partner. The fourth one is, how do we, what does it look like for us to make room for responsibility, right? Make room for responsibility, right? In 1 Timothy 5, this talks about this idea of like, who are we responsible for as a church? And he talks about one of the people that we're responsible is for the widows, for the orphans that they talk about um, we're responsible for. But when we think about practically, who are we responsible for? Like, declare both the like who you're responsible for and the boundaries like of who you're responsible for. Like because a call to everyone is a call to no one. Because as soon as we start talking about being hospitable, then your first thing is, well, I can't be hospitable to everyone. And then you know what you just done? Well, now I'm not going to be responsible or hospitable to anyone, right? 
And so what we're saying is, Define who are you responsible for? You know, I was talking to Lucas earlier today, and I just said, like, what if, you know, and he's an RA. What if it was like, what would it be like for us to become the RAs of wherever we live? You guys been to college, you guys know RAs, you know, that we, we kind of know. What would it be like for you just to become the RA of your neighborhood or the RA of your block or your cul-de-sac or of your floor in your apartment complex. It was just like, hey, you don't even have to pay me for this. I am a self-proclaimed RA of this community, right? That you have, we have just deemed you the RA for your neighborhood. What do RAs do? RAs are the people who are constantly cultivating community. They're putting on events to bring community into the, to the place. They're, they're, they're responsible for a group of people Right, there was a time when Angie and I, when we lived in um, um, up in Tucker area, when we lived there, we lived on a place called Winfield Circle. And in Winfield Circle, there was literally the one way in, one way out, and there was about I think 77 houses that was in Winfield Circle. We made it our goal and our ambition. We said we are the RAs of this um, this cul-de-sac. And so what we did is that we went around, knocked on every door. And we says, hey, we're your RAs. We didn't actually say that. But we basically went on baked cookies and just said, hey, we're here in the neighborhood. We're going to be doing things. And so we started throwing international parties because it was a very diverse neighborhood. And so we had international parties, like where people just bring food. And we were down there on the corner. We learned the name. We went into every house and drew a map of every house. And we said, who lives in every one of those houses? The, the, the husband, the wife, the kids, or whoever's in the house. And we prayed for them regularly. There were times where we would literally wake up early in the morning and we bought a bunch of newspapers or donuts and we would literally, as they were driving out, we were just saying, hey, you're friendly RA. We're just giving them donuts as they're, as they're leaving, going on to work, right? We became the RAs of our neighborhood. We were saying, we are going to be responsible for cultivating the community, creating space, right? And that's ultimately something that we all can do, but being able to, to define, Right, whether that is your floor, your wing, just around, like what would it look like for us to do that? The fifth one is how do we make room, make room um, for dignity, make room for dignity. And this is where we see in this verse when Jesus was saying, listen, what one of the factors of separation between the goat and the sheep is who did you make room for? Who do you make room for? In Matthew 30, 25, 35 to 36, it says, for, because he said, basically, how do I know, Lord, right? Well, like, what's the prerequisite, whether I'm on the right side or on the left side? How do I know um, on that? He, he says in verse 35, he says, for, he's giving us a reason, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you took care of me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And then he goes on and says, but when did you do that? He says, whenever you did that amongst the least, my brothers, my sisters, that, that is just a part of taking on responsibility in providing dignity for people. And you know, we live in a city. We live in a city that there's many, like the, 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 the disparity, the diversity in this city, right? It's one of the um, affluent, most affluent cities, one of the most college educated cities, but it's also one of the, well, it's one of the poorest cities in the nation, right? And so you have these disparities. And the question becomes is how do we bring dignity? And let me just say really clear, do not confuse being middle class with being mature. 
Christians too much think that those that are middle class equals Christian maturity. Middle classism does not mean maturity. You don't, you're not any more mature, mature based upon how much money you make, is basically what I'm saying. But so the question becomes is how do we create space for one another so that we can grow together because we all come with something both to give and also something to receive. Paul, who wrote 13 books of our New Testament, basically said, hey, I can't wait to come to the church in Rome because I can't wait to both give. I got so much that I can give you, but I also got so much that I can receive from you. That it's not an either or, but it's a both and, and that we both learn, we're both giving and receiving simultaneously, and so we got to recognize that. And so there's an acronym that I like to use when it comes to addressing our neighbors. Basically, I talk about slap your neighbor. Look across the table and say, slap your neighbor. Slap your neighbor, basically. Right? This idea of slap your neighbor is basically, it's an acronym, it's an acronym that I just use, like I do an acronym and I do things just to kind of remind myself on how to remember things. That word slap basically is just like, one, whenever we are talking to people, oftentimes, and we're just like, we're in a hurry, the, the S stands for stop. We could be in the tyranny of the urgent and we can just kind of move. We can kind of go and we can see whether it's the panhandler or we, we can see it's the, the brother that you know that you see. It's like, oh man, it's going to take a lot of time. Let me go the other way. Like, no. Stop, right? Stop, right? Don't always be in a rush. Like, stop and listen, right? That's the second one. L, listen. Listen. Basically say, what, what, what is it? What, what do you need? Where are you, right? Listen to someone, right? The, the third one is to ask, how can I help you? How can I help you, Right? And then the fourth one is participate. Do as much as you can. Do as much as you can. Like, we can obviously look at so many examples in the New Testament, right? The, the Good Samaritan and so many others, right? When we talk about this idea of stop, right? Like, each one of the, the godly people in the Good Samaritan story, they went on the other side and it just kind of kept on going because they were busy doing God's work. Right. But then you have the Samaritan, the person that was the one that is supposed to be the enemy. They what? They stop. They listen. Where are they? They ask. They basically ask, what do they need? This man was like dead. And so they participated. What were they able to do? He was just like he couldn't just stay there the whole time. So what does he do? He says he takes him to an end. He pays for the end. And then he has to continue on. We don't know the business that he had to do, but he still was able to fill the gap for that time, for that season, for that moment. Right. And so in here, basically, slap your neighbor. Right. Remember, stop, listen, ask, participate. Right. Participate as much. Make an impact. Because if like, don't literally go slap your neighbor. You guys know you guys get what I'm saying. I don't want any lawsuits. The pastor at Blueprint said slap your neighbor. So I'm, you know, go around like it's an acronym. Basically, stop, listen. Y'all get it. All right. So slap your neighbor. Not really, but slap your neighbor. All right. The, and here, and here's the thing. When you start slapping your neighbors, you got to start making room for mistakes. Make room for mistakes. Because that's the reason why we don't start. We don't do anything. We don't even, sometimes we don't even want to engage with our spouses or our good friends. It's like if I ask them, I know they, something's going on, but if I ask them, that's going to take me down a whole nother thing and don't want to have to go down that whole thing, right? But 
We got to make room for mistakes. Make room for mistakes. This is, a, you know, the famous passage is the golden rule. Matthew chapter 7 and 12 says, Therefore, whatever you do, whatever you want others to do to you, do also the same for them. For this is the law of the prophets. Basically what Jesus is saying, treat others in the same way you want to be treated. That's ultimately, and so what is, a, what is a good test of that? It's just simply, if I was in that situation, how would I want to be retreated? If I harmed someone or if I hurt someone, how would I want to be treated in this? But if we're doing that, we got to be willing to understand that people are going to hurt us. People are going to take advantage of us. But when you leave margin to understand that in the midst of people hurting us and taking advantage of, of us, that's a part of it that you just, it's a part of like making room for mistakes to taking place. And it's being okay with that. How many of us would like, is thankful that Jesus didn't just give us 10 opportunities or a hundred opportunities, but over and over and over again, he allowed us to make mistake after mistake after mistake. And I'm not even talking about it in the past. It's how many of us right now is thankful that Jesus keeps on allowing us and he makes room for us to make mistakes, right? The Bible says in the same way Christ has received you or welcomed you, welcome one another. You have to make room for people to make mistakes, right? Another acronym, it's better than slap your, your neighbor. Another acronym is simply rep Christ, rep. Rep Christ. You are a tangible expression of Christ. Rep him. What that means is there are, reflect personally, right? In that, good, in that um, the golden rule, treat others in the way you want to be treated. So part of that in there says there's a time of reflection. How would I want to be treated? So reflect. Empathize corporately. Treating others, right? So I got to empathize with them, right? Everyone has a story, recognizing that. Empathize with them corporately. Connect with them on that. And then the last one is pursue reconciliation. Let's, like, we got to run to the tension, but let's run with the heart of reconciliation, right? Like, we're not going to just kind of push it under the table and act like it didn't happen. We're going to address it, but I'm addressing it because I want to be reconciled to you. Right? There's a good friend of mine who used to always say, it's just like, as Christians, we have to create the conflict. You understand what I'm saying? Like, we have to create the conflict. Basically, if we think that there's a perceived beef or there's something going on, let's go in and let's create the conflict. Let's run to the tension and say, hey, I don't know if there's something going on, but it feels like something's going on. I wanted, I mean, my heart is, I don't want anything to give the, the devil a foothold to taking this thing somewhere else. So let's, let's talk about this, right? And so it's, just, it's pursuing, but it's pursuing with the heart of reconciliation. It's not just about trying to get, like, keeping it real and getting stuff off your chest. That's not what I'm talking about here, right? We're talking about going, running to the tension, but running with the heart of reconciliation. I'm genuinely wanting to be reconciled. We're talking about creating hospitality, making room for one another, which is our seventh, all right? Make room to be explicit. Make room to be explicit. What do I mean? Ultimately, what I'm saying is be explicitly Christian, but intentionally relational. 
be explicitly Christian and intentionally relational. Reverend, um, Romans chapter 12, 13 says, like it tells, talks about this idea of outdo one another, right? Being explicit even to those that are inside, outside the faith, those who harm you, persecute you. Be explicit about being Christian. So like basically what I'm saying is like be hospitable, but don't be hospitable in a way. Some Christians are like, I want to be hospitable, but I don't want to share like the reason why I'm hospitable. It's kind of like this bait and switch like, I don't want them to know I'm a Christian. I'm just a nice person. And then later, I'm just going to kind of sucker punch him, right? And then just let them know, like, ooh, you know, I'm Jesus' follower. That's the reason why. Like, like, right? like, that's not what we're, like, just be explicitly Christian. You know, when I moved in, I remember moving into a neighborhood, um, and it was, like, we moved into a neighborhood, and, you know, and there was some activity going around in the neighborhood, right? There's some activity. <laughs> Um, happening, take place. And people told me, don't move to that part of the neighborhood. And I, and I remember, and I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a missionary. And so when I went, and the first time I went and talked to the people who were doing some activity in the neighborhood, I went over there and I was explicit. I was like, you are here for a purpose and I'm here for a purpose. I'm the pastor of X church and I'm here and I'm here. And my goal is, is that I want to be able to create a space for people to be able to worship Jesus. And I was just like, you're explicit. I can be explicit. Like, let's just all be explicit. But in, in that, I was just like, let's be explicitly Christian, but at the same time, let's be intentionally relational. So over the years, I basically kept on. We kept, we would go over and we would talk to them. And like anytime we had extra food at the church, we would give them food and we would connect with them. We was being intentionally relational. I don't know if anybody in here sells Primerica. Anybody sells Primerica? Okay, good, because I don't want to use this analogy if anybody in here. But you guys know Primerica. Y'all have been approached. If you haven't, praise the Lord, right? But Primerica is that insurance. It's like life insurance, and it's the person that comes to you, and they basically says, hey, and it's a good friend, always a good friend, and they come to you and says, hey, man, I'm doing this new endeavor or this new venture. I would love to get some time with you and, right, to share with you what I'm doing and the endeavor, and you already like, oh, Lord, and you already know, and so you know that they're about to sell you something. So the whole time between that time and the actual meeting, in the actual meeting, you're thinking about all the different ways I can say no to this person, right? I, and then so you go through the meeting, you actually have the meeting, you end up saying no, but guess what? The relationship is tarnished for the rest of time, isn't it? Like, this is like relationships don't survive after that Primerica visit, right? You see, but as Christians, that's not, some, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Like, some of us have misinterpreted the shake the dust off your feet passage. And so many of us, we just go and we share our faith. It's like, I share my faith. I've done my job. I'm going to move on to the next. No. What would it look like for us to continue to show up, right? Because we got to recognize we got to treat people like people, not projects. They are not a project. What does it look like to create space? Because you genuinely love them. You genuinely care. And anybody I genuinely love and genuinely care, I want to share what is most important to me with them. So I, I can't keep, I got to be explicit about what's so important to me. But I also want to be intentional. I still want to be friends, even if you don't accept Jesus. Right? Be explicitly Christian. An intentionation, don't be like the Primerica people. I'm just kidding. I love Primerica. We actually have Primerica because we couldn't say no to them. We wanted to, we wanted to remain friends. 
So we have Primerica. I know, I know. It's all for the gospel. I'm creating hospitality. <laughs> Tell myself that, I know. I know. All right, number eight, number eight, make room around common ground, right? We did a verse. We did this. You can go back and listen to the verse. Basically, 1 Corinthians 9 says, to, to the Jew, I become like a Jew that I might win Jesus. I become all things to all men that I might save some, right? What would it look like to make room around common ground? What are things that we can create win-win scenarios? When we first moved into the neighborhood, one of the things that we did is that we joined the PTA at Hope Hill Elementary School. And in everything, we was at the PTA of Hope Hill Elementary School, we were at the middle school, and now we were in the high school, right? And we have always joined. And part of it is, is that I'm in these environments, we're explicitly Christian, but we're intentionally relational. We're making room, we're creating space, right? And, it is, and part of it was, like, at one time, we had a city group that if you want to be a part of this city group, you have to join the PTA, whether you have a kid or not. In the neighborhood. Why? Because we found common group. Good. Why? Because everybody in the neighborhood wants a good elementary school. Right? Whether you send your kids to the elementary school, you want a good elementary school, or whether or not you're, you know that your housing value is tied to having a good elementary school. So all we did was it's like, what is this one thing in our neighborhood that everybody is concerned about? Having a great elementary school. Right. So what does it look like for us to find common ground where we all and again, as we are all trying to make a better elementary school, guess what we're doing? We're creating room to connect for relationship with people. Right. We're talking about hospitality beyond just simply making cookies. Right. Beyond just simply the Martha Stewart idea of it. So make room and then two more um, last um, last two. One, make room to steward God's blessings. Make room to steward God's blessings. Or another way of saying it is make room in your time, your talent, in your treasure. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 23, 22, this is actually the principle. It says this, when you reap harvest of your land, you are not to reap all the way to the edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave room for the poor. And the resident alien, I am the Lord your God. Basically, what he is, what the author Leviticus is ultimately saying is, listen, whenever it comes down to how God is blessing you, all of God's blessing for you is not just for you. So stop living at the margin. Stop going in debt. Create space. Learn how to live off a percentage of your budget so that you can make room for others. Right? Because somebody's going to say, hey, man, can I hold $5? Somebody's eventually going to say. But if you have made room for that. So at our house, we have what we call a hospitality budget or a blessing fund. Don't come ask us for any money. That's, that's not what this is about. We're talking like we're not listening. It's for people we're making room for, right? So, but in this, it's the concept of like how do we make room for people. So we have a blessing for it. So we budget with blessing people. And so it's a very intentional act. And it's not taking it like we're not saying we're not going to give to the church and we're going to give to the, to the people. We're saying, no, above and beyond what we give to God, we are also going to give to our neighbors so that when we're slapping our neighbors, right, we actually have the means to do that. 
right? We have, we have material blessings. But also, when we're, when we're doing that, we also we need, and I don't do this as well, I don't really do this at all, it's making room in our time. Some of us needs to stop budgeting, like we budget every single hour, every single minute of every single day. And then whenever someone comes and interrupts our day, we're frustrated with them. Part of this is saying that maybe the Lord is saying, hey, stop budgeting all because I'm going to have some of these divine interruptions. So I'm going to intentionally not budget all my time for those God moments so I can make room. That's what he's saying in Leviticus. He says, listen, if God gave you the ability to bless your time or your talent or your treasure, like, don't take, use it all for yourself. Use it for the purpose of others. How about this? Instead of using your extra talents for just all the side hustles, why don't you offer some of your talents to be a blessing to others, someone else in the same industry and to, to help them without cost? Right? What does it look like for us to make room and to steward God's blessing? And finally, that's a lot. So this is like, whew, that's a lot. There's a lot of things. And these are just some. I left out a lot of them. I left out a lot of, a lot of other ones that we can make room for. But we got to make room, make room to be replenished. Welcome others in the same way we welcome Christ. This is basically the old airplane analogy. If we're going to truly make room for one another, we got to first attend to our own souls. We have to attend to our own souls. You cannot give what you do not have. So many of us, it's like it's, we're in burnt out mode right now. We're in compassion fatigue right now. We're tired of the one who is always giving. But part of it is not about what we're doing Part of it is what we stopped doing. We've stopped going to the well. We stopped going to Jesus. We stopped making room for him, right? And so we end up eventually get poured out, right? Because if you had a, a jug of water, no matter how big your jug is, if you keep pouring out, eventually it's going to run out. So unless you are replenishing that, you're at some point, you're going to run out. So what would it look like to replenish? What would it look like to set up time to make sure that you're walking with Jesus? And I'm not, listen, I'm not talking about self-care. Self-care is great. I'm not talking about solely self-care. I'm talking about spending time with Jesus, the well. I'm talking about not just getting away. Because sometimes some self-care is just about relief. And sometimes we need relief. So I'm all for self-care too. But this, I'm not talking about that now. Some t- relief is just simply about getting away from the pain sometimes. I'm talking about replenishment. I'm talking about restoration. I'm talking about re-energizing. I'm talking about all the re-words, right? Replenishment is about filling back up so I can get back in to the game. Get back into the fight. What are we doing as we move to the end, closing out this year, and as we move to 2024? Like, let's put that at the top of our list. What are the things that we're replenishing so that we can engage in hospitality? One of the things that the Lord calls us to do in our replenishment work is to celebrate communion. And this is the reason why throughout this whole um, sermon series, we've been talking about this, the Lord's Supper. 
And every single time we've talked about hospitality, we've talked about the variety of different things and making room, the biblical blessings of hospitality. But we says we're going to stop every single Sunday and we're going to make sure that we are making room for replenishment. And so right now we're going to take some time and we're going to celebrate communion. And communion is basically the time of what we're saying is it's, it's an opportunity to be replenished. It's an opportunity for believers, those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, to say, Lord, let me remember what you have done for me. And this is, this is an important um, practice that we have because it reminds us to reflect. It reminds us to do all the things that we have that we are called to do, but it also reminds us how Christ has made room for us so that we can boldly enter the throne room of grace, that we can come to the Father. Because as immediately after Jesus goes through this Olivet Discourse, he, he talks about, listen, there's going to be a time, and we can start passing out the elements. Um, there's going to be a time right? I'm going into Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. And, and he talks about all the stuff that's, that's about to take place in his life. And you know what's interesting about this time is that he then immediately goes to the, the Lord's table. He goes to the Lord's Supper, and, then, and, he, and he begins to, to share with his disciples. He says, in the midst of all the stuff, being hospitable and all the things that God has called me to, to, to be and to do as service of him, rem- remember Remember me, that I'm here to replenish. And I love what Pastor Carly said last week when, he, when we um, talked about the idea of the feeding of the 5,000, right? Because in the feeding of the 5,000, what we saw was the disciples did not have enough to do the, what all God was calling them to do. And I just kind of imagine in my mind, I imagine in my mind, it's just like I got a few fish and a few loaves. They take these fish and loaves and Jesus says, hey, go feed everybody. And it's like, but Jesus, we don't have enough. Go. So it was an act of faith for them even to go. When they go out, they organize the people, and then they go back to Jesus. And he has blessed the bread, and there's more to give. Then he goes out again, and they feed the people. And then he comes back, and there's more to give. And each time, you got to recognize that the miracle that was taking place wasn't the miracle just about making more bread. That was a miracle. But most, I believe most of the people, most of the people probably didn't even know a miracle was taking place. They probably just was like, man, they got a lot of food back there. Right? And you know what else? You know what else? Three hours from then, guess what? They're going to get hungry again. They're going to get hungry again. Their lives weren't changed on that day. You know whose lives were changed on that day? The disciples. The ones who kept going back to Jesus and being replenished. Because what ultimately what that miracle was saying is that the little that we bring, God can make much of himself. You see, as we think about practicing this gift of hospitality, as we think about being overwhelmed with all these 10 principles and practices, the number one thing that we have to remember is let's, let's keep going back to the well. Let's keep going back to Jesus because he is able to make much. The Bible says, give us this day 
our daily bread. It's the nourishment that we need for today. The nourishment that we need for today. And so Jesus, recognizing this, that in the very next chapter in Matthew chapter 26, in Matthew 26, basically Jesus says in verse 26, as they were eating, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. And we do it in the name of Jesus in remembrance of him. And then he took the cup in verse 27. And he says, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And we all drink together. He says, but I tell you, I will not drink from this vine, from the fruit of this vine, from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the mount, out, out to the Mount of Olives. My prayer is that as we sit at the feet of Jesus and as we reflect over these next couple of Weeks as we prepare for the new year, the new season, is that we would prepare our hearts, that we would make room to walk with Christ, to be replenished by him. But we will also make room for our neighbors. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity, thankful for the grace that you've given us in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to make room, make room for you, as we make room for one another. Father, we need you to do the very things that we have been called to do. Father, we love you, we bless you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's prepare our hearts for worship. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.